You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. South Africa's banks appear to have sidestepped Armageddon and business for now at least is looking almost perky. Yeah, that was certainly the headline in the FM last week. If you look at the FTSE JSE Banks Index, it's uh, up over 50% uh, year on year, outpacing the gains that we've seen for the Aussie. And with the share price of some individual banks doubling, we've seen uh, some really good trading updates recently as well. And the signs are that the economic recovery is underway and sentiment is clearly improving. And we're seeing that come through in some of the uh, the credit performance metrics for the banks so far. Well, to talk about what we're seeing in the business end of banking as the country looks set to shake off the economic gloom of 2020, I'm joined by Gordon Little, FNB Commercial CEO. Gordon, welcome. Uh, you've been with the First Rand Group for uh, a large chunk of your career now. How did you come to head up the business banking division of FNB? Michael, thanks for that question. So about 18 months ago, um, our head of, of, of uh, business banking or commercial uh, was headhunted to to a bank in Australia, and the the gap arose. And uh, I threw my hat in the ring. Previous to that, I was the, I was the CFO of of FNB, and I'd been sitting in that role for about six years. So I was very familiar with 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 the business bank, and enormously excited by the opportunity to, I guess, make a real contribution to to business growth in South Africa, as opposed to simply measuring it from the side. And there is so much opportunity within business banking to make that kind of impact. And uh, we see uh, specifically through COVID, uh, entrepreneurs have been remarkably resilient. I think it surprised a lot of people. Yes, that comes at uh, a cost. I think what entrepreneurs have done is that they haven't geared up their balance sheets. Uh, they've cut costs where they can. And sadly, that has meant uh, to uh, to shed jobs and retrench staff. But at least they're they're resilient enough to remain on their feet and trade another day to hopefully become the employees um, of the future, uh, employers of the future, I should say. But with that, what are you seeing uh, through your book? What are some of the most common requests that you're getting from businesses in 2021? Yeah, so I think there are a few themes that are emerging. I think what you've said, you know, with people keeping powder dry, so I, I think businesses were, became inherently more conservative with COVID, and many people acted early, unfortunately, letting some people go and kind of and operating part hours. For example, we saw that in our, in our business. We've seen people, you know, rather than invest deeply in working capital, they've, they've invested, you know, uh, you know, their proceeds into what's called a business savings. And where we're seeing the emergence of, of, of growth are in, in those industries that I guess were buoyed by the pandemic. So, I mean, the, you've, you've heard this, I'm, I'm sure, before, Michael, but, you know, hardware and homewares and anything that re- relates to, to life at home, we've seen businesses in, in, in those supply chains do incredibly well. We've also seen small business steal market share from big business. And I think you know, that, that classically comes down to, you know, small businesses are operated by entrepreneurs and small groups of people, and they went back to work early. So people where they saw demand, yeah. they they went back into the office and they, they've made sure that their service levels are are kind of exemplary and they're really kind of understanding what their client needs are. So certainly there are certain industries where, where people have really made massive efforts. When I've been talking to clients, the story we hear is like, you know, we want to be there for our clients, and the pandemic gave us an opportunity to, to differentiate based on service and engagement. So we're definitely seeing, you know, parts of that. And then I guess there is this pent-up demand that you see in, in areas like, you know, housing. People continue to, 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 to 
refreshed housing, you know, home improvements, et cetera. And anyone that, that, that is in that space is definitely seeing, you know, the, the buoyancy that the market's creating. And then maybe just we've seen spending pattern shifts. So if you look at, you know, we see obviously where cards get swiped in, in South Africa. And, you know, some of, of the growth that's gone away from, from tourism has, has found its way into, into home entertainment and subscriptions and, and, and elements like that. So certainly opportunities out there. And then maybe one last point would be, I think, you know, smart operators have been through tough cycles before, and South Africa's filled with, with great entrepreneurs. And I think, you know, many people, you know, looked hard at what the pandemic had, had presented and pulled back from the table. We're seeing many of them come back now, though, and looking for, you know, looking for growth. There are acquisition opportunities. And certainly, you know, some of the really top jockeys in small business, you know, are, are, are really enjoying the challenge of, of finding new growth in quite a different market post-COVID. Fascinating. And on that final point, it reminds me of a conversation I was ha- having with a, a rather top jockey back in his day as well, Ian Cantor, when he founded Investec back in around 1974, 76. And he said it was a very similar time, uh, if you were to liken it to the crisis that we're going through now, in that there was a lot of uncertainty. There were the Soweto riots. Uh, people were fairly pessimistic as well. Uh, but he said counterintuitively, that's when entrepreneurs see opportunity. They see resources as potentially cheaper, uh, getting uh, access to the best people uh, in a market uh, such as ours uh, is, is a little bit cheaper as well. Uh, and in that, uh, you see that real entrepreneurial spirit coming to the fore. Uh, there's another uh, trend that we've seen through the pandemic, and that's obviously digital to go from bricks and mortar yep. to bricks to clicks, so to speak. Uh, are you seeing that playing out in your book as well? Oh, definitely. I think you can see the pivot um, in businesses. We've talked to, to clients who were forced to move from, you know, what they thought was always going to be the high street or the storefront kind of sales model to, to being, you know, significantly more click-based. I think, you know, clients would have taken years to have pivoted. The, the crisis certainly accelerated that. It's definitely meant that, you know, business models have probably become, you know, more, more uh, robust you know, should another event, you know, like this happen. And uh, I guess some people that we thought would never move, you know, in that direction were forced to and have done so very successfully, Michael. I think when we do look at uh, the the flames of the pandemic uh, or the flames of digital transformation, in, indeed, the pandemic was the accelerant on those flames uh, and has really helped uh, accelerate digital transformation. I think in all of our businesses, uh, I'm sure in, in your in, in F&B commercial as well, uh, you had to respond immediately to the hard lockdown and uh, and I'm sure are now trying to find out what this new normal, this new ground that shifted underneath your feet is actually looking like. Can you just give us an insight as to operationally how the pandemic impacted um, your your operations at F&B Commercial and, and what the new normal potentially might look like for you? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a great question. So I guess in the early days of the, the pandemic, we had a dry run before lockdown was called of seeing if we could get, you know, all of the senior leadership to operate from home and engage in the team's, in a team's meeting construct we, we saw how much of our call center we could potentially deploy back to, to home before, before that happened. And I guess what's happened is, you know, in the first five or six weeks of the pandemic, it was kind of pretty much 90% of the world went, went home. You know, the people that worked for us that were sitting in branch were still in that front line servicing clients as an essential uh, service. And I guess with the passage of time, we've taken pockets of people back to the office. I think to my earlier comment on, 
on service. We do think that elements of our business work better when there is kind of interpersonal interaction and peer support. So we're working on those things. And then we're working on things like hybrid meetings where we'll put a small number of people in large rooms and use Teams technology to, to beam into that, that space. And that's something that we wouldn't have contemplated uh, previously. The other thing that we've done is, I mean, a lot of my, my business is regionalized and we used to have people flying up and down. I mean, that's gone completely and Teams has replaced that uh, in its entirety. And I think we keep getting better and better at trying to read each other on the screen because, Michael, <laughs> that personal touch is so important in a business like ours. I was going to ask you how you manage that balance between uh, high touch and I'm sure an entrepreneur jockey wants that interaction with their with their personal banker versus this need to do things in a far more isolated uh, digital uh, environment such as uh, such as COVID is ushered in. How, how are you striking that balance? I think there are some interactions that you you have to do in person. I, I think there are some things you, you can't do away. When we've got to deliver you know, devices, when we've got to assess credit. I mean, in many, in many instances, you actually want to go and make sure you fully understand what it is you're financing, the building that you finance, the asset that you're financing, and you want to, you want to make sure that you've got alignment with, with, with the borrower. So a lot of those meetings continue to happen in, I guess, controlled circumstances and kind of all protocols observed. Um, but we are trying to put people back into engagements where we think there are critical conversations, and that goes with 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 staff on staff and staff on client interactions because you know also if you're borrowing a lot of money from the bank you want to make sure you've got a partner you, you it's, it's not just about digital signatures and those kind of elements it really is essential that you know there's a level of trust and 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 mutual respect that's established in those spaces now gordon i know there was a lot of criticism around the the treasury loan guarantee scheme and we, we've spoken quite a lot about it, but you know, I, I kind of sat back and I looked at what the scheme was essentially trying to achieve in an environment where, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, COVID descended like this dark cloud. It was very difficult to forecast what was going to happen six to 12 months out. You just didn't have that kind of visibility. And entrepreneurs are, you know, yes, they're risk takers, but they're also uh, risk averse at the same time. They understand risk. And I couldn't see entrepreneurs gearing up their balance sheet to get through a period of such high uncertainty. Entrepreneurs will do what they do. They'll cut costs and, you know, they'll, they'll sorry, mm. but they'll, they'll, they'll cut staff as well. And we've seen that in the employment numbers. And so the, the scheme, if you look at it now in hindsight, probably wasn't, uh, either came too late or it wasn't really designed in the best manner possible. It probably should have been some kind of government grant. How would you assess that scheme with the benefit of hindsight and, and what SMEs actually needed to get through the pandemic? Michael, I've thought about this many times. You know, our, certainly a number of my colleagues were very closely involved in trying to understand how we quantified the need of, of small business at the start of the pandemic. And I guess we made a number of assumptions, we, you know, about how long it would endure, what kind of expenses would have to be would be would have to be financed. And I guess the one thing that many people forget was what we didn't know at the start of the pandemic was what the government would do. And I think, you know, we should celebrate the fact that TERS mm. as a form of offering support to all businesses was something that evolved, you know, not in the first week of the pandemic, but in the weeks that followed. And certainly the scheme didn't have the benefit of knowing that when it was in its I guess conceptualization stage. And I think government did a great job there. I think where where you're right is if it had been a grant for for small businesses, that may have well have worked. But again, asking banks to give away government money is, is a recipe that would have been cloaked in in, 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 
in in real challenges because it, it's always it's always tricky. Where I think we did get it right was we tried to make sure that there were were kind of proper commercial gates to run clients through. Okay, are you a registered taxpayer in good standing? Can we make sure that there's a level of of kind of understanding about affordability? Is your business you know correctly uh, foundation to make sure it's capable of borrowing and so forth? But I guess benefit of hindsight. A little bit of grant, which government did deliver in terms of of of, of their support through through, through tours, mm. and then maybe you know if with the benefit of perfect hindsight, more targeted to the industries that we've now seen have struggled to recover. So tourism for me stands out as, yeah. as a real victim of the pandemic. I'm afraid. Yeah, it, it really does, and unfortunately, those businesses that rely on on international uh, travel, uh, tourism events. Um, I was chatting to some entrepreneurs in Cape Town in the the film locations business, and they've managed to survive, mind you. I mean, they, they've shown some real resilience doing, um, you know, on uh, on location shoots and then uh, on sending that digitally to some production houses in Germany, for example, just to stay afloat. And that's really what struck me, Gordon, is the ability of South African entrepreneurs to stay afloat. I think initially, when we went into the hard lockdown last year, we were expecting absolute Armageddon. What are you seeing through your book? Look, I, I get to see the best and worst in my office, you can imagine. So mm. I, I guess I've had the benefit of meeting with, with angry clients and with, with some people that are you know, super chuffed with how that, that, that performed. And I, I think you know businesses that were surprised by the duration of, of, of the pandemic in industries where you know, their largest uh, cost was was people certainly in 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 my view have seen kind of more pain than, than anywhere else, and then businesses that could pivot and could benefit from things like you know kind of thinking about the things that could be made in this lasting context that that were being imported previously they've definitely done incredibly well, and then a lot of the supply chain logistics, you know people like career companies etc. They've really celebrated this this pivot and kind of grown into the opportunity that has been there. So a real mixed bag. And I, I think the, the people that did well even in difficult circumstances were the ones that really acted very early, Michael. I mean, that's almost consistency. But even those guys that were going through hardship, the, the earlier you acted, then unfortunately, or fortunately, then which lens you look at, those people have done better for themselves and in many instances for their staff. Uh, absolutely. The earlier you respond, you know, often when I chat to a Pablo Fatidis or an Alon Reyes, they say, you know, as a jockey, as an entrepreneur, you've got to get over that state of fear and paralysis and you've got to accept that things are changing and you've, uh, and you've got to adapt. You've got to move quickly. Yeah. And it is those businesses that manage to do that uh, that we are now seeing able to take advantage of an improving environment. Uh, just as we end off our time, Gordon, uh, what are you doing as a, as a bank now? In light of where we find ourselves as a, as a country, what are you seeing as some of those pain points uh, that you can assist your, your business clients with to get through the next few months as we uh, try and get the population vaccinated and hopefully our, our borders fully opened up and onto green lists for travel and that kind of thing? So I guess, I mean, the one thing we reflected on was fees. So it's another season of, of no no fee increases. In fact, in many instances, we've tried to take, take pressure off of our base. I'm pushing my team very hard to find uh, lending opportunities. And kind of I'm talking about trying to get closer to smaller business in terms of our, our lending product and appetite. And we think that that will make a difference. And then we've always been quite good at offering business support, you know, through our, our, our service model and then if you have a look at, at what the bank provides in terms of its platform, we've got a resource like 
Fundaba that if you want to establish a business, it's a free resource. It guides you through from ideation to growing a business. So those are the kind of givebacks that we're trying to help with. And then certainly in, in small and medium enterprise, we, we're reaching out into what we call community economies, where we've been underrepresented in the past and trying to make sure that we really support business growth in those areas, Michael. And if we can get those things right in the next 12 months, I think we'll be able to reflect back quite proudly on what we've achieved. Well, that is uh, um, a really positive uh, talk considering where we were just uh, over a year ago. And uh, I'm certainly very pleased to hear that the economy is uh, is a much sounder, much firmer footing. And uh, we do hope that some of the structural reforms that the, the president uh, and and his trade and industry minister and various others are working on will start to yield the results. Uh, Gordon, just a, a, a final point, just broadly speaking around the economy and where we find ourselves at the moment. I know there's another bout of load shedding that always dampens the mood. Uh, but overall, where do you think we find ourselves as a country? So I think it's really an opportunity to, to kind of embrace, embrace growth. I mean, I, some of our, our most enthusiastic customers have been looking for the gap. And, you know, looking at opportunities to replace imported goods, looking for the opportunities to expand production and export. I mean, those are, I guess, the things that get me excited. It's what people are prepared to do in the interest of growing business and jobs. And our entrepreneurs are passionate people, uh, Michael. And I think, you know, if we offer them the right support, you know, we, we kind of tee up not just the banking sector, but the South African economy for really strong growth. Gordon Little, F&B Commercial CEO. Uh, let's support our entrepreneurs. That really is uh, our, our innate strength as an economy. Uh, and we've got a few, but uh, it's our people and the quality of our jockeys and entrepreneurs and, and also the strength of our uh, financial institutions as well, supporting them that uh, help us uh, compete and punch above our weight, even on a global stage.